Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Leah, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Friday, November 9, 2012. Today we are reading from the big book. You'll find us in Chapter 5, How It Works, on page 60, third paragraph down, beginning with being convinced we were at step 3. Today's readers are Kim, Sarah, Paula, and Sharon. The reference number for yesterday's meeting three two nine two three two nine two oa preamble overeaters anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience strength and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating we welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively there are no dues or fees for members we are self-supporting through our own contributions neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now call on Monica to read the 12 steps. Thank you, Leah. My name is Monica. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater talking to you all from Jerusalem. Number one, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to all compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, Monica. Thank you so much. I will now call on Melanie to read the 12 traditions. Hi, good morning, Leah. Thank you for your service. My name is Melanie. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater calling in from Minnesota today. The 12 Traditions. 
One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise. Let's problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you for um, that service opportunity. Pass. Thank you, Melanie. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. And today we resume our study of the big book. You'll find us in Chapter 5, How It Works, on page 60, three paragraphs down, beginning with being convinced we were at Step 3. And I will ask him to begin, please. Thanks, Leah. Being convinced we were at Step 3 which is that we decided to turn our will and our life over to the God as we understood him. Just what do we mean by that, and just what do we do? I'm going to stop there. Good morning, everyone. My name is Kim. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. Now, this is so critical. We're, we're making that decision. We've now come to two conclusions. What are we convinced of? We're convinced that we're a compulsive overeater. What does that mean? That means we have an allergy of the body. That when we ingest certain substances, we are always, always going to have that phenomenon of craving for more and more and more. 
And even when we get that willpower, even when we get that gumption to put down the food, we have this obsession of the mind that's going to bring us back to the food over and over. So we're now convinced. We have, we have come to the conclusion that we're a compulsive overeater. And if lack of power is our dilemma, we need to find a power greater than ourselves. So now we're convinced that we have to find the power greater than ourselves. And because of that, the logical conclusion is, if I know there's a power out there that can, is greater than myself, I have to make that decision to turn my life and will over to God as I understand him. And for years in a way, what I did is I turned over the food. I don't understand. I turned over my food to God, and I was an abstinent today. And it's not saying God doesn't want our food. God wants our life and our will. And the only way that I can make that decision is by being convinced that I'm a compulsive overeater, by being convinced that I need a power greater than ourselves. And that's why we're on page 60 of this book, and we finally have been beaten to a pulp by the food. We finally have come to believe a power greater than ourselves. And now we're ready to make that decision to turn our life and our will over to God. But it's only a decision. We still haven't taken any action. But we're going to start to explain to us, it says, what what do we mean by that and just what do we do? So we're going to start to learn what we have to do once we make that decision. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Would anyone like to comment on what was read? Good morning. This is Margaret. Margaret, go ahead. Good morning. Good morning. This is Margaret, uh, recovering in in South Jersey. There's just one sentence I wanted to um, pick up on this, and I find this to be so helpful. Just what do we mean and just what do we do? I, I just love that sentence, and particularly when I sit down with the book with somebody that I'm taking through the steps, you know, when we get to this part, it's such a relief as a sponsor not to have to come up with these answers on my own. What does it mean to turn our life and our will over to God? Because right here it says just what do we mean and just what do we do? And so we can start and we read exactly what it means and exactly what it what the book is telling us, you know, to do. And as I said, as a re- it's just a relief as a sponsor and just a relief when I was learning that they were going to give me the actual precise directions of what turning my life meant uh, over to God meant. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you very much, Margaret. Anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? This is Janice. Janice, good morning. Go ahead. Good morning, Leah. Good morning, Vision for You. My name is Janice. I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, God. Being convinced, being convinced, I think that that phrase in and of itself was very, very significant to me to say to myself, have I been convinced? Have I been convinced? And I don't know about you, but all I needed to do was to take a look at my history take a clear and honest look at my history. My history of compulsive overeating was immense. It was deep. It was true when I looked at it over and over and over again that I had not, by my own unaided will, been able to stop. Been able to stop. You know, I looked. I looked at all of those instances. I looked clearly at time after time after time. 
And that was very helpful, knowing what I knew now from the doctor's opinion, that I indeed had this allergy of my body. And if nothing else, being convinced by looking back at my own history, I could see, I could see that yes, just as they had described, that was me. That was me. Because it says being convinced we were at step three. Being convinced of that and having been told by you, by people in whom the problem had been solved, that there was a way out. There was a way out. There was a solution. There was, there was more to learn perhaps, but there was a solution and I could grab hold of that. Grab hold of that. Because it says when, when how free do you want to be? You know, you ask me that. How free do you want to be? And if I was convinced, then I was at step three, which is that we decided to turn our will and our life over. You know, it had been my thinking that was making me suffer. And I was willing now to turn that over. I didn't know exactly what it was going to look like from here on in and what exactly I was going to have to do, but I was convinced. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you so much. Anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? This is Christy. Christy, you're up. Good morning, everyone. This is Christy, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. You know, in this short little paragraph, what it says is being convinced we were at step three. Being convinced. What was I convinced of? Being convinced of what? I was convinced of A and B. And what is A? That we were alcoholic and could not manage our own life. So for me, in my case, that I was a compulsive overeater, that I could not manage my own life. Now maybe, I mean, maybe I could stretch this a little bit and I could say, you know, I could manage my own life with everything except for food. I could manage all parts of my life except for food, which I found out, unfortunately, once I put the food down was not entirely true. But even if I said, you know, I am powerless over food, and at least with respect to food, my life is unmanageable. If I can get there, if I can get there, then I'm good to go. The second part of that on B is that no human power could have relieved my alcoholism. So in my case, you know, first of all, I had to believe, I had to believe that a power greater than me could restore me to sanity, and I had to believe that I was insane to get there. And I mean, if I looked at the record and I said, you know, what is it that brought me here? What was I convinced by? What was I convinced by? I was convinced by my disease. You know, my disease did its job. My disease beat me into a state of reasonableness. And my disease said, you know, Christy, you've reached out to, you know, therapists, nothing wrong with therapists by any means, you know, that's not what I'm saying, but they couldn't solve my problem. Self-help gurus could not solve my problem. Authors of books, personal stories in, you know, fitness magazines could not solve my problem. You know, I, I could read and I could research and I could make appointments with and I could do all kinds of things to meet with people and have them try to solve my problem. It didn't happen for me. I needed something beyond that. I needed something beyond that. And, you know, my experience taught me that, you know, there was nothing I was going to read or no one I was going to talk to necessarily that could solve my problem. 
that could solve my problem. I had to be convinced that I had an allergy of the body like the big book describes. You know, we've been reading for, you know, a few months here to get us to page 60. You know, we have been reading, you know, what have I been reading? I've been reading about my addiction and my brain and the way I think and the nature of my problem. I have a physical allergy, and for me what that means is that I have an abnormal reaction to food. What food? Well, you know, I always say anything that's not nailed down, but sugar, fat, flour, volume, you know, patterns of eating, you know, call it what you want. I had an allergy of the body, an abnormal reaction when it came to food. And I also had a mental obsession. The greater aspect of my disease is my mind. And what does that mean? That means that I will keep, I will continue with those same behaviors. I'll continue with those same thoughts. I'll continue telling myself that it's not going to happen this time. I'll continue to tell myself I don't really, I'm not really that bad. I don't really have a problem. And I'll do that over and over again. And, and then I'll find myself all of a sudden surprised. How did I get here? How did I get here? What happened? What happened? And that's what I have been reading up to now. That's what I have been reading up to now. I mean, if nothing else, I can say, you know, I, you know anything's got to be better than what I'm doing. Anything is better than that. You know, anything. It doesn't matter. It, it, I can't do it anymore. I can't do it anymore. I'm, I've backed myself into a corner, and I am nailed against the wall by my addiction. Anything has to be better than this. And for me, that's the point that I got to. I was convinced. I was convinced that, you know, I wasn't sure what was going to get me out of it, but I knew it wasn't me. I knew it wasn't me, and anything was better than what I was doing. And I am... You know, I don't know what it takes to get there, but it took, you know, <laughs> you know, a lot of reading line by line. I mean, you know, it's taken us a while to get here, and that's how it was for me. And uh, once I put that food down, once I stopped eating, I, my entire life opened up. It, I mean, it just, you know, step three took me. I mean, I'm just so grateful, so grateful for that, um, you know, that I finally just said I'm done. I'm done trying to run my life. That's what I'm grateful for, and with that, I'll pass. Thank you so much, Christy. My name is Leigh. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. I, too, wanted to just speak on this. Being convinced we were at step three, which is that we decided to turn our will and our life over to God as we understood him. I just want to focus on to turn our will and our life. Um, what is our will? You know, our will, my will was my thinking. You know, my will is my thinking. It's nothing more than my mind. What's floating around? What messages float around between these ears of mine? Um, because all action is born in thought. All action is born in thought. If I'm not thinking it, then I'm not doing it. You know what I'm saying? If I'm not thinking it, then I'm not feeling it. All those things, my actions and my feelings are born in my thinking, in my belief system. So if my actions are twisted and distorted, it's because my thinking is twisted and distorted. <laughs> so uh, that's my will. That is my will. It says to turn my will and my life. What's my life? My life is the sum total of my actions. My best thinking got me into a place where I was in complete chaos from compulsive overeating. Complete chaos. 
because this disease had deteriorated every facet of my life. This is, wasn't just about uh, the mere physical consequences of eating to excess, although that was bad enough. Um, but every facet of my life, my relationships, my family, my, my, my mental, my emotional life, my, my spiritual life, I was bankrupt in all areas. I mean, there was not one part of my life that um, had not been deteriorated because of this illness. I w- <laughs> my, l- my will in my life was, was reflected in the way my life looked. You know, I, I had no relationships to speak of, no friends to speak of, of very little connection with my family. Uh, my life was deteriorating faster than I could lower my standards. So I'm making a decision here, being convinced of what was described earlier, step one and step two. We were at step three, which is that we decided I'm going to make a decision. I'm going to make a very important decision to turn my life, my will, my thinking, and my life, the actions resulting from my thinking over to God as we understood him. And uh, with that, I pass. Anyone else before we move on? It's Monica. Monica, go right ahead. Thank you, Leah. Monica, recovered compulsive overeater. And I just wanted to say a little bit, everybody's on, uh, we turn our will, like you said, our thinking and our life over to God as we understood him. And I just wanted to stress on that, as to God as we understood him. You know, at this point, you're just beginning the steps, the process. You need an understanding, just something very simple that you can start with now, but something you can start with. Don't let this hold you back. You don't, we are never going to really fully understand what God is or who he is or, or any of that. Just start with something you can have a belief in so you can get moving on with this process. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Did I hear Katie in the background? It's Irene. Oh, Irene, I'm sorry. Go right ahead. Thank you, Leah. Good morning, my spiritual fellows. My name is Irene, gratefully recovered compulsive eater. Thank you, God. Well, it's a decision and a choice to not do according what we think, but to listen to what God has us do and to try to forget about, um, to try to understand and comprehend what your higher power is, we just need to pause, listen, and follow directions, something that we never did before. We were to always dive into situations, and whatever we did, we felt, and in the moment, and we were all over the place. It's committing to our higher power what he wants us to do so we can discipline our lives, and it's changing our way of thinking from I to we. It's that sacred shift from seeing, speaking, and acting God's way. God, you know, please help me see through your eyes and feel through your heart. Listen to your ears and speak to your speak your words and show me your path and I will follow it. It's it's like becoming a child once again and taking hold of God's hand as you would with a parent and allowing him to guide you. It's totally surrender. It's as if you were blind and you couldn't see where you were going, but you had to trust somebody to take your, a hold of your hand and to lead you of where you were going. Well, it's the same thing. Um, and um, just to let go and let God and grab hold of him. Um, 
allowing God to dress us with his shield and protect us from outside matters like fears and struggles and conflicts and our addictions. So it won't penetrate through us. It shields us from all those. It protects us. Living internally with that strength of God that gives us peace and serenity. And, um, and um, we, by doing that, we can muster up strength and embrace and accept all outside issues. And this is the transformation of the mind and our attitude. And, and um, it leads to God's actions from self to God-centered. It's, uh, it's really the death of self and the life of God. You are admitting that you are powerless, step one, and now you're turning your life over to God, and that's step three, and it's setting oneself free from the chains of I. I thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Yanini. We'll now move on to the next paragraph with Sarah, please. Hi, this is Sarah. Good morning. Um, great fall recovered compulsive overeater from New York. The first requirement is that we be convinced that any life run on self-will can hardly be a success. On that basis, we are almost always in collision with something or somebody, even though our motives are good. Most people try to live by self-propulsion. Each person is like an actor who wants to run the whole show, is forever trying to arrange the lights, the ballet, the scenery, and the rest of the players in his own way. If his arrangements would only stay put, if only people would do as he wished, the show would be great. Everybody, including himself, would be pleased. Life would be wonderful. In trying to make these arrangements, our actor may sometimes be quite virtuous. He may be kind, considerate, patient, generous, even modest and self-sacrificing. On the other hand, he may be egotistical, selfish, and dishonest. But as with most humans, he is more likely to have varied traits. I'm going to stop there, even though it's like the middle of this whole little story. But there's so much in this paragraph. Wow. Um, I just want to focus on that first sentence. The first requirement <clears throat> is that we be convinced that any life, <clears throat> sorry. The first requirement is that we be convinced that any life run on self-will can hardly be a success. So, the first requirement means is teaching me that there's more than one requirement, but the first requirement is that, again, that we're convinced. We're convinced, um, which we spent a lot of time talking about, this conviction, but this, this sentence is teaching me that this conviction is a summary. Those ABCs that we just read can be summarized in one, one word, self-will. Call it one word even though it's really two. Um, self-will is is exactly what um, this whole paragraph is describing. It's describing how I tried to run the world and I tried to run the show and it wasn't quite going the way I wanted and therefore I could somehow escape that through, through eating, through um, my resentments, through all of the different things that where my show is not going the way I want and it's leading me down this path of self-destruction. And it, and this whole, it's, this whole paragraph is really preparing me, this whole story that we're going to be reading and of this person, I mean, this example of, of self-will and how it looks, what it looks like, which is so great, how the big book just chose me and teaches me exactly what does self-will look like. It's so 
um, so doesn't leave any room for me to try to have to figure that out for myself. It's very quite descriptive, and it and it shows me the different personalities that how this can be manifest, and it can be manifest in nastiness, and it can be manifest in super goodness that's not coming from a healthy source. It's per- it's preparing me to evaluate um, where. I was trying to be the director and to prepare myself also for the steps that are about to come after this step three that are going to show me that I've actually taken this step three. It's um, There's so much. There's so much. And, and it can all be summarized in one word, self-will. We need, it's, this step is, is the decision to pursue the, um, the negation of self-will for the transformative um, process leading me to God's will. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? This is Janice, Margaret. Janice, and then Margaret. Thank you. Thank you very much, Leah. All right, here we go. Self-will, self-propulsion. Self-will, self-propulsion. I am so grateful, and thank you for all the the comments so far. This idea that I tried to run the show, and it didn't come out very good. You know, my ideas, remember, my ideas were twisted. My ideas had been formed as a direct result from all the actions that I had been taking up until this point. And because of my compulsion to overeat and where it had taken me, I ended up with very twisted, warped thinking. And so every action that I took here, it's describing for me the source of all of that thinking, that warped and twisted thinking, was running purely on self-will self-propulsion, self-motivated, self-determined. And I was always in collision with somebody. I was always in collision with somebody, even when I was trying to be good. Even when my motivations and my intentions seemed good to me, I still ended up trying to run the show, make things come out the way I needed them, the way I thought I needed them. And because the source as I've just been hearing, thank you for sharing that, the source of all of that was not the source that would become the God of my understanding, God as I knew it. It was coming from only my thinking. And because of that, they're describing me. I remember looking at this paragraph, reading this paragraph the first time and going, yikes, holy cow, how did they know me so well? How did they know me so well? Because that was me. I was forever trying to run around and, and arrange everything with sometimes the best of intentions, but it never turned out quite the way I wanted. And now I'm seeing now I'm seeing exactly why that was true. And with that I'll pass. Thank you, Janice. Margaret. Oh, thank you, uh, Leah. I, I just had to pick up on this one little phrase, even though our motives are good. I can remember when that hit me. I was convinced, talk about being convinced about something. I was convinced that if my motives were good, people better get right behind me and support me, and that's all there was to it. It was very black and white for me. If my motives were good, 
you know, I, I never questioned anything else if, if I had good motives. And when I really, when this sentence really hit me, and I began to look at that within myself, I began to look at that really deep character defect. It was life-changing. It was really life-changing. So I just wanted to share that um, that, that sentence was, is just amazing that, you know, I just, I really did believe that my motives were good. And you know what? It didn't work. It didn't work even when my motives were good. Running the show just did not work. All right, thanks. I pass. Thank you, Margaret. Anyone else? This is Paula. Can I share? Paula? There you go. Thank you, Leah. This would be Paula, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. Yeah, it is quite the paragraph. I'm going to zero in right here and scoot to each person is like an actor who wants to run the whole show. And I'm going to stop right there because, see, that was it. I wasn't content to run the show, the whole show. The way I ate, the way I did everything in life, there was never enough. There was never contentment. Oh, let me tell you how to live your life. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Mm-mm. You know, this is what you should be doing. This is where you should be going to worship. This is the way you should be seeing things. There was never a contentment. There was a never enough. And you know, I, I love that line. Yes, even though our motives are good, well, of course I was only thinking for the best for you. I mean, I wore my halo well. I shined it up every morning. And then I went on. And I love that was said about self-propulsion. Propelled me forward like a bulldozer. Like a bulldozer. And I thought you would be happy with this bulldozer coming along to flatten you out and straighten you out, girl. And I'm going to stop right there. Thank you, God. And I will pass with that. Thank you. Anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? This is Judy. Judy B. Yes. Uh, Good morning. This is Judy B., uh, recovered compulsive overeater, and very glad to be here. I want to zero in on the part. He may be kind, considerate, patient, generous, even modest and self-sacrificing, and that's that's what I looked at when I when I looked at myself. That's how I thought I was. And uh, it took this program to really show me that on the other hand, he may be mean, egotistical, selfish, and dishonest. For me, the selfish and dishonest stood out because I, I just wanted the approval of everyone. I wanted to look good and... I would be dishonest. I, I would not express really what I was thinking or what I what I what I knew. I would not express it because I was so selfish that I wanted their approval. I wanted other people to like what I was the way I was. And um it was such an awakening to to work this program and to see that I, like everyone else, had varied traits and that I was um I, I did not have the best interests of everyone at heart. I, I really was selfish, and I had my own interests at heart. Um, I, I was not the kind of person who who um, really tried to manipulate other people into doing what I wanted. As long as they liked me, I didn't care. It, it, you know, what they did was fine, and 
And that was a sick way to live, too. And um, I'm just so grateful to have, have found this program and, and to know that, that we are all different and we all have different traits and we just need to give them over to God. God will use our traits in, in the best way he knows how. He'll use our weaknesses and our strengths. And uh, I'm, I'm so grateful to know that and so grateful to have found the big book where it really tells me about this. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Judy B. Anyone else? This is Helena. May I share? Yes. Helena, go ahead. Good morning. I am Helena in South Jersey. Um, what I see that, that jumped out to me as I heard this paragraph read was, yes, I heard a response in myself, yes, that is what I want. Yes, that's what I want. If any, everything just went my way, wouldn't life be wonderful? But what I see also is that everybody is doing this. Most people try to live by self-propulsion. And the the last paragraph, the last sentence in the paragraph, as with most humans, we are more likely, most likely to have varied traits. So in this way, we are like most people in the world. But because we are bodily and mentally different from our fellows, this will kill us. Pass. Thank you so much. Anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Hi, this This is Susan from Vermont. Is that Susan from Vermont? Yes. Go ahead. Thank you, Leah. Um, the um, section that, that uh, this morning came out to me was uh, Motives Are Good. And um, I've, I know in the process of recovering, um, I, I knew when my motives were bad most of the time. And um, so I've gone from bad motives to maybe good motives to having no motives of all, at all. Um, um, how could my motives have been good, even as it's stated here, if I was not aligned with the will of God? And so today I try for no motives at all but to follow his will. And I was one who was a goody person. I always surrounded myself with others that were um, more blatantly um, having bad motives. I mean, they, they got caught, or they it was so obvious. And mine were uh, cunning, baffling, and powerful. And um, in, until I turned my will and my life over to God and, and asked in the mornings, you know, let me walk in your light, um, then it became a question of God's motives, or God, God's will, not motives at all. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you so much. My name is Leah. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. I wanted to zero in on these couple of words here uh, and define them. Self-will. Self-will means stubborn or willful adherence to one's own desires or ideas. And self-propulsion means providing one's own driving or propelling force. So the statement, on that basis, we are almost always in collision with something or somebody, even though our motives are good, this self-will and self-propulsion. And, you know, as I looked back through my life of almost two decades of mayhem, but, you know, and I'm sitting across the table from someone who's cracking open this book and bringing it to life for me, I, you know, I was able to see through these pages um, that all my life I'd been a selfish, self-centered human being, 
um, that I always thought whatever I wanted to think, made whatever decisions I wanted to make, and and took whatever actions I wanted to take. And I had to say to myself, and the, and the recovered fellow sitting across from me certainly pounded it into my head. You know, take a look at your life, Leah. Take a look at your life. Look where it's gotten you. Look where your thinking has gotten you. You're sitting in a rehab center with, with a plastic uh, wristband on. This is your best thinking, girl. This is where it has gotten you. And the end result of thinking and deciding and doing whatever I wanted is that I almost destroyed my life and the lives of everybody around me. Because this self-centeredness, this self-will, this self-propulsion had contributed to my failure at life. I was a failure at life. The cellophane bags and the bakery boxes were merely um, emerging as a symbol, as a symptom of being out of relationship with God. I was living in the dark. I had created a whole universe centered around me and what I expected out of life. And I was my own God, essentially. You know, therefore, I really had no God. And it was a miserable life because I only saw the world through those lenses. And that self-centeredness that they're talking about um, was a poison. It was a poison. It frustrated my every effort towards a comfortable and happy existence because I was almost always in collision with something or somebody. I mean, it, you know, Monday I was in collision. Tuesday I'm in collision. Wednesday I'm collision. didn't matter what was unfolding in my life. It was uncomfortable. I was uncomfortable on this planet. I was uncomfortable on this planet because I was so frustrated trying to arrange things so that I could get comfortable. And the bottom line is I could never be comfortable. And so I kept seeking comfort in the cellophane bag in the bakery box. And you know what? It doesn't matter whether I expressed myself as a martyr or a bulldozer. The bottom line is it was me, myself, and I. I was living a self-centered existence trying to arrange all the characters on the stage so that I could be comfortable. And I could never get comfortable. I could never get comfortable. I was jumping out of my skin by the time I got here. <laughs> jumping out of my skin. And what a relief it was to find that there was hope. Hope in these pages that I could be transformed from that self-centered, miserable existence to a God-centered existence where God is my refuge, safety, and protection, and true comfort. And with that, I pass. Is anyone else on the line like to uh, make a comment on this paragraph? This Robin. Robin. Go Hi, ahead. this is Robin. I'm a compulsive overeater. I, I Actually, I see this as a, a, quite a relief. This is a paragraph that is just filled with relief for me. I had been trying all of my life to control the show, and it wasn't working. And it, it, it was frustrating, it was frightening, and I thought it was my job to control other people. I thought that I was the one that was supposed to hold everything together, and I couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't hold myself together, I couldn't hold my life together, I couldn't hold my family together. And here I'm told, this is the solution, this is the solution. It was never your job to start with. I, I have to tell you that my husband passed away a couple of weeks ago, and if you've ever been in a position before where you can't arrange the lights, you can't arrange the ballet, you can't arrange the scenery, you can't arrange the rest of the players, that was it. And I didn't have to because I was taught 
by this step three that it wasn't my job. And, you know, when I, when I look at my food, when I look at the, the way that I was trying to um, oh, choreograph everything around me and the pain and the agony I caused myself and other people, and I was messing up my own life, what made me think that I could control anybody else's life when mine was in such a shambles? It's really, it's, it's, it's crazy to think of. That's the insanity that I could think that as my life was tanking, as my life was crashing and burning, I still thought that I could control other people's lives and tell them what to do. And this, it all came with surrender for me. It took, it took steps one and two to get to steps three. And then at step three, when I realized this, when I realized what a relief this is to let go of those um, self-imposed restrictions self-imposed grandiosity, everything opens up for me. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Robin. Let's move on to the next paragraph with Paula, please. This would be Paula, Recovered Compulsive Reader. What usually happens? The show doesn't come off very well. He begins to think life doesn't treat him right. He decides to exert himself more. He becomes, on the next occasion, still more demanding or gracious, as the case may be. Still, the play does not suit him. Admitting he may be somewhat at fault, he is sure that other people are more to blame. He becomes angry, indignant, self-pitying. What is his basic trouble? Is he not really a self-seeker, even when trying to be kind? Is he not a victim of the delusion that he can wrest satisfaction and happiness out of this world if he only manages well? Is it not evident to all the rest of the players that these are the things he wants? And do not his actions make each of them wish to retaliate, snatching all they can get out of the show? Is he not even in his best moments a producer of confusion rather than harmony? Well, there... Twisted thinking and twisted living, put in a paragraph. You know, you, you, you mean it to come out this way, and it doesn't come out that way. Well, I'm going to try a little harder. Oh, that would be that bulldozer going through again, fixing you, never looking at me. And then, then it says, is he not a victim of the delusion that he can wrest satisfaction? I mean, I did and happiness out of this world if he only manages well. No, oh, not good enough. Let me try a little harder. Let me work a little bit longer. And, you know, is it not evident to all the rest of the players that these are the things he wants? And do not his actions make each of them wish to retaliate? That's the part I never understood. I mean, here I am trying to help you. Trying to help you. The delusion. The delusion. But I would like to end with the last line there. Is he not even in his best moments a producer of confusion rather than harmony? Thank you for allowing me to share. With that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Would anyone like to comment on this paragraph? This is Kim. Kim. Good morning, everyone. Again, this is Kim. What is his basic trouble? Is he not really a self-seeker even when trying to be kind? Boy, I'm busted. I'm busted. 
You know, I mean, how did these first 100 from the 1930s, how are they peeking in my window of this woman in 2012? My gosh, you know, all the stuff we read before, all those things, all those manipulations that we did. What is my basic trouble? I'm selfish, even when I'm trying to be kind. I mean, let's face it, I was, I was a good friend. I would do what you wanted. But why? Because I wanted to make you like me. You know, I'm the oldest of, my ch- of the siblings in my family. I was always trying to help my brothers. But it was because I wanted them to do what I wanted them to do. I was always doing what my parents wanted me to do because I had to prove I was the best child. I was a self-seeker even when trying to be kind. There was always an ulterior motive. I never did anything selfishly. You know, I, I was a victim of the delusion that I can wrest satisfaction and happiness out of the world if only I managed well. Well, if it didn't work out the way I wanted to, it meant I had to manipulate more. And then I had to figure out a way. God, no wonder I was always so exhausted. I couldn't sit still. I couldn't just be. And with all these efforts that I made, with all these manipulations, I mean, when I would go, when I would go up to a, a movie with a friend, I never said, I want to see X movie. I would put down every other movie until the only option that we could go to was the movie I wanted to go to. I was a master of manipulation. And this paragraph and these couple paragraphs are busting me. It, it really stings. How did they know? How, could I, how did they know that I was this scared, pathetic human being that was just trying to manipulate the world and when it didn't work because it couldn't? Nobody could do all this. I would seek relief in the food. And I would numb out for a little bit and I would get enough strength to go out there and bulldoze the rest of the world. And in the best moment, I was just a producer of confusion rather than harmony. And it was time to relax. It was time to give over that power, to a, my power, to a higher power and let him take over. And what really ticked me off, especially with my brothers, was not only that my, I thought my brothers couldn't survive without me, and when I finally let go and turned them over my higher power, they not only survived, they thrived. And man, did that tick me off because I was causing the trouble. I wasn't the solution. I was the problem. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? <laughs> Press star one to unmute. This is Sarah. Sarah, go ahead. One thing that um, really stands out for me in this in this paragraph and this whole um, description here is that um, that this is this is a decision about my whole life, and it's you know um, we're all here as compulsive overeaters, and as has been mentioned so many times, is that the food is just part of step one. This is really showing me how my whole life my whole life um needs to be reevaluated and um because you know as we read this and I'm like images of me directing my my children's lives my husband's life everybody's life it's just you know blare me in the face and and then my guilt and remorse not you know all of those feelings that come because I was trying to run the show, and how important this is just this 
paragraph and this whole scene is just showing me how not only is step four going to be important, but the ability to pause and to really check in with God. Who do you want me to be? How can I, um, well, we're going to get to it, but um, how have I destroyed or um, not even, even if it hasn't been total destruction, but with all my good intentions, you know, I've, so, I've said so many times how the road the road to hell is paved on good intentions and how many times it's just been me trying to do what I know best because, after all, I'm God. <laughs> like, I know how things should go, and if you just do it my way, then it'll be it'll go the way it's supposed to be. Just listen to me. I know what I'm saying. I know what I'm talking about. Trust me. I know. I've been there. Da da da. And it's it's like laughable. I'm like laughing at how stupid I look and how stupid I feel, because because I'm a victim of the delusion that I can wrest satisfaction and happiness out of this world if only I manage well, and. I'm just like looking here. Like yeah, I've so each one of these lines is underlined and underlined. Um and how many times in that direction of of these shows and trying to arrange the lights and and trying to direct other people and and myself in what I think and what I know to be, you know, the right way even in those best moments how I've produced confusion rather than harmony. And the only way for me to restore um, that sense of harmony, which is so disrupted by my own limited human thinking, is to is to love what is, pause, and ask God for direction. I've made a decision. This is a decision. Step three is a decision. I'm turning my will and my life over to the care of you, God, as I understand you, with all its limitations, and I trust that you know what you're doing and that you'll show me what I need to do and everybody else will be okay, even if they're not doing what I think and what I know. And it's so freeing, it's humbling, and it's freeing, and um, and it's so calming and with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Sarah. This is Helena. May I share? Yes, Helena, go right ahead. Um, it strikes me, the, 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 the little partial sentence, admitting he may be somewhat at fault. Hmm. He is sure other people are more to blame. Wasn't that my life always... Okay, maybe I did a couple things that weren't so great. My life is about to be turned around completely. I am about to discover, as I continue on with steps 4 through 12, that I am no longer allowed to look at what others are doing. When we do step 4, we may find, as I did, that we set ourselves completely against the entire world, including God, because so many things in this world are going not according to my will, whether it was in politics or in church or on my local street or in my local town or in my school or in my family. And admitting that I may be somewhat at fault, 
that was just a quick way of brushing over it. And I'm going to proceed. We are going to proceed, and we are going to learn how to overcome this and how to save our lives by stopping uh, stopping this whole thing of complaining about others and constantly justifying ourselves and instead letting God change us completely. Pass. Thank you very much, and thank you to everyone around the room who participated in the meeting now. And I will call on Sharon, please, to read from page 164, and then we will finish with the serenity prayer. Thank you. All right, this is Sharon, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater, page 164. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Amen.